Good morning, TCC. I miss all of you. I was been thinking about that on just how uh, much I think I've taken for granted Sunday mornings, and um, I'm thankful for this technology. But it'd be so good to be in person, wouldn't it? Well, I'm sure that um, if your family is going through what mine is, you're probably discovering new things in this time. Uh, you're discovering what your spouse looks like with long hair, some of you. Um, you might be discovering new ways for your family to get along with one another. Um, have you ever, though, discover, made a discovery that's changed you? Have you ever made a discovery that's changed you? Um, I can think of the first time that I tried Vietnamese food. And I was like, man, my taste palate, my taste buds will never be the same. I am forever changed by trying this, this cuisine. This was amazing. Um, or, or maybe it was for me in, in junior high, I remember discovering this band called The Fray. I don't know if you've heard of The Fray. This is early 2000s, and uh, The Fray was, was this rock band that was led by the, the instrument, the piano. And um, it was this band that got me interested in and playing the piano more, which, again, one of those things that kind of changed my life. Um, I can remember uh, relationships, friendships that I've had in the past where I've met someone and that friendship, that relationship had kind of changed the trajectory of my life. Having friends who became um, just these, these bedrocks, these foundations for me. I can remember in October, in 2007, an evening in October, when I made a discovery that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with Jolene. And I, I, I proposed to her that night. That was an important discovery. And as I've grown up, uh, I remember in my early 20s discovering a love for building and, and working and, and framing houses. And then later on, um, discovering a passion for ministry and for the church and, and pursuing theological studies. Uh, discoveries can change us, can't they? Depending on the discovery, it can completely change the trajectory of our lives. Eating Vietnamese food is rather insignificant, <laughs> but a discovery of finding that spouse, finding that passion. They're important, aren't they? Well, I'm sure that you've had many discoveries along the way in your life that have propelled you in various directions. And as a church, since September, we've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark, and I hope that you, like me, have made several discoveries about Jesus along the way. Have those discoveries changed you? Because, man, it has been an amazing journey. We've learned a lot about Jesus. And Mark's gospel is one that kind of centers around the question of who is Jesus? Who is he? Mark is trying to get you to ask that question. And this morning, I have the responsibility of concluding our series. Uh, If you were tuning in with us last week, uh, you would have noticed that Pastor Norb went to verse 8 in chapter 16. Uh, And in your Bible, you'll probably see that there's a few more verses, uh, verse 9 to 20. But I got to tell you, I am not going to preach on this section of Mark. There's a lot of reasons for that. I don't have time to get into all of them. Uh, Very simply, um, you'll notice a footnote in your Bible. It says that some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verses 9 to 20. Uh, And the reason for that. Um, and most, most scholars that I have read, and you can disagree, me, disagree with me on this if you'd like, most scholars affirm that Mark did not actually write verses 9 to 20 of, of chapter 16. 
And I, I think if we were Mark's publishers, we'd maybe understand why people added to his gospel. Because when Pastor Norb finished for us last week, verse 8 of chapter 16 concludes the book very abruptly. We read that, and they, these are the women at the tomb, went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You know, if, if we were Mark's publisher, we'd be like, okay, Mark, this, you know, I, I see where you're going, but this isn't a very good ending. <laughs> And so what we kind of theorize is that as years went on, people actually added to the end of Mark's gospel. But I, I think that Mark intentionally wanted to leave us hanging. I think that Mark's gospel was meant to end abruptly. And I want to talk to us about that this morning. I, I want to give us a brief overview of Mark's gospel. People ask me, well, what are you preaching on this Sunday? What's your text? I said, the Gospel of Mark is my text for us this morning. Don't worry, I won't read all of it. Um, I'm just going to quickly summarize it for us and maybe give some clarity to why Mark's ending is so abrupt. Well, again, a view of the Gospel of Mark and one that I adhere to is that the Gospel is built around this question of who is Jesus. And Mark, at the very beginning of the Gospel, in the first chapter... He kind of shows us his hand. It's the only spot in the gospel where, where Mark is um, giving us a commentary. It's the only place where he's telling us what he thinks. And he very simply starts his gospel by saying, it's, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So right off the top, Mark is saying, this is the Son of God. I'm about to tell you about the Son of God. And then that's it. We move into the first act, I'll call them this morning, of, of Mark's gospel, chapter 1 to the first half of chapter 8. And what we read about in here is Jesus engaging on mission. We, we read about Jesus being baptized, his calling of the disciples. We read about Jesus casting out demons and, and healing many people. We, we listen to him teach. We listen to him confront the Pharisees. And, and we watch this story unfold, and something that Mark does is he starts to highlight how people are wondering, who is this guy? This guy just healed somebody. This, this guy is teaching in a way we've never heard before. This guy, he's, he's pretty amazing. Who is he? And even Jesus' disciples, in chapter 4, we read about Jesus calming the storm. You know, the wind and the waves are, are growing. The disciples are freaking out and they wake up Jesus. They say, Jesus, wake up! And Jesus wakes up and with a word, he calms the sea. It's amazing. Amazing. We can only imagine this. But how did the disciples respond? It says that the disciples were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this guy? Jesus' own disciples freaking out, wondering who is this guy? Who is he? Mark takes us into the second act. The second half of chapter 8 will begin our second act of Mark. It goes to, to chapter 10. And, and this section is interesting because it's this section where Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And they answer Jesus and say, well, you're the Messiah. 
You are the one who's supposed to come and save us. And Jesus says, you're right. So we start seeing, okay, he's answering the question of who, who am I? But then through this whole second part of Mark, Jesus just confuses all of us. Because instead of describing the Messiah as someone who is going to throw, throw away the Romans and restore Israel back to the, the kingdom that they longed, it to be, longed for it to be, he talks about his suffering. He talks about his death. He tells them that he is going to be the servant of them all. And we read about the disciples really not understanding this. The question of who is Jesus keeps building. Well, the final act of Mark begins for us in chapter 11 with the triumphal entry. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And again, the last week of Jesus' life here. And the people anticipated him being the Messiah, but they quickly found out that if he was the Messiah, he was certainly not what they expected. He was the unexpected Messiah. And Jesus so disappoints them that many of them call for his death. He was not who they wanted him to be. He was not who they thought he would be. But Mark does something so interesting for us in chapter 16, or sorry, chapter 15. And, and from the voice of a Roman soldier, we have this declaration where this Roman soldier says, truly, this man was the Son of God. So this question builds throughout the gospel. Who is Jesus? We watch his life. We watch him live. We watch him do all of these things. We, we hear his teaching. We watch him interact with his disciples and the Pharisees. And, and they don't get it. They don't get who he is. But here at the end of the gospel, this Roman centurion makes this declaration. He's the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. So if the conclusion of Mark was meant to be abrupt, and I really believe that it it was meant to be abrupt, it leaves us with this question. How will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to Jesus? Will you, like the disciples by the tomb, run away? In fear? Not knowing what to think? Will you, like the disciples, feel like Jesus has failed you or let you down? Or will you respond to him in such a way and, and recognize that this crucified Jesus is your king? Well, these are very important questions. A.W. Tozer suggests that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important things about us. Because thoughts about God are are thoughts about our existence, our our humanity. They're thoughts about eternity. And friends, if, if there's something that you need to be certain on in life, it's that you you are certain on who God is. That's not something you want to get wrong. When you consider eternity, this idea of life after death, if you're uncertain about what it is, be sure of this. You don't want to get it wrong. And God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. He's he's come and he's spoken to us. He's given us his word. He's told us who he is and what he's about. 
So if Tozer is correct, then the question posed by Mark's gospel is perhaps the most important question. Who is Jesus to you? It is a discovery more significant than Vietnamese food. It is a discovery more significant than meeting your future spouse. It is a discovery more significant than a passion that leads to a career. This is about your life. This is a life and death matter. And when we answer this question, it's meant to shape the trajectory of our lives. Friends, through this journey through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus as a healer. Jesus as the teacher. We've seen Jesus the friend to sinners. We've seen Jesus satisfying the hunger that is growing inside of people. We've seen Jesus the calmer of the storm. We've seen Jesus the confronter. The one who comes to people who who feel like they have it all figured out and he confronts them. He says, maybe you don't quite have things figured out. We have Jesus, the challenger, pushing back against the religious ideas of his day. We have Jesus, the deliverer, freeing people from, from demonic oppression. And we have Jesus, the miracle worker, And finally, Jesus, the risen Savior, with the the stone over the tomb, rolled away. Friends, we have Jesus, God, our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who, who desires to fill us with his life. And all throughout this gospel, all the while watching Jesus, there's this invitation that comes to you and it comes to me. And this invitation is asking us, will you walk with him? Will you know him? Will you let Jesus be your king, your Lord, your God? Will you let Jesus inform how you live your life, the choices that you make, the way that you interact with the world? Will you follow him? So I ask you again, who is Jesus to you? Some of you might be watching this morning and and you're just checking out church. You're not sure about who Jesus is, you know, and and I don't know what you think. Perhaps you think he is a historic figure. Perhaps you think, well, he's just, he's a really great teacher. You know, he he seems like a really good guy. You know, well, Jesus, he's the one who started that religion, wasn't he? Many people want to look at Jesus and and say that he's just someone who had a lot of good things to say. But they definitely do not want to say that he is God. Pastor Ken for us several weeks ago read this quote from C.S. Lewis. And I wanted to read it for us again. It should be on your screen at home. Um, And this is just a very important quote. It's a bit longer, but C.S. Lewis writes this. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And this is what people say, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. So that's maybe something that you have said. You know, I accept him as a teacher. He seems like a great guy. He has some things to inform my life, but is he God? I don't think so. C.S. Lewis goes on. He says, well, that's the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. 
He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Profound words. What C.S. Lewis is getting at here is that we can't just accept some of what Jesus said and, and say the rest was silly. We can't say, well, some of his teaching, that was good stuff. He taught me to love people. But that other stuff about him being God, that's just weird. C.S. Lewis says that logic doesn't work. You either accept all that he said or you reject all of it. There is no in-between. So if you are unsure of who Jesus is, I encourage you to ask this question. I encourage you to investigate it. I encourage you to seek an answer. Who is Jesus? Come to a conclusion. I, I urge you. If you have questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Send me an email. Contact the church. We'd love to have a conversation about this with you. Not to pressure you. Not to push you into a corner. But just to hear your story. And to hear how God might already be at work in your life. For those of you who know Jesus, and maybe you have for a long time. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you went to Bible school. Maybe you used to teach theology. Whoever you are, my question that I think comes to us from Mark this morning is, do you allow your knowledge of Jesus to change you? Do you allow your knowledge of Jesus to change you? You know, it's easy for us to think that becoming a Christian is like crossing the finish line of a race. You know, it's like I've been on this spiritual journey, but I became a Christian, I crossed the line. Friends, as we read the New Testament, it's not like that at all. If you want to use the race metaphor, we have to understand that becoming a Christian is like launching off the starting block. It's not the end of the race. It's the beginning. And and as we run this race, we we continually learn more about Jesus. and, And all that we learn shapes who we are. It changes us. We become more like him as we walk with him. The more that we learn about him, the more that we understand that who we are cannot stay the same. The the more that we walk with him, the more we experience his love, we come to find our identity rooted in him. We find our purpose flow from our relationship with him. It changes us. It has to. Whether you're 20 years old or 40 or 50, 60, 80 or 90, I don't care how old you are, is the constant revelation of who Jesus is changing you? God did not desire for us to be left the same. Jesus desires that we experience life to the full in every area of our lives. And as we walk with him, as we respond to him, friends, that experience will come. That experience will come. 
And it should come so much to a point that leads me to my final question for us this morning. That as we walk with Jesus, is the way that you're living your life causing other people to ask, who is this Jesus? Is the way that you are living your life causing others to ask, who is this Jesus? Friends, our world... There's so many options available to people. So many people ascribe to so many different worldviews and perspectives and and moral standards. And we live out of these things. The choices we make, the perspective we have flows from these things. Does your life reflect one that flows from this relationship with Jesus? So much so that people look at you and say, man, what is it about you? The way that you're navigating covid COVID-19 with your family, the way that you talk to others about it, does it reflect the peace and joy and certainty and hope that you have in Jesus? The way that you treat people at at the supermarket, the way that you interact with the world around you in this season, is it communicating to other people that you know Jesus? That you have his joy and his peace and his love? 1 Peter chapter 3 has a very familiar verse in it. And we often use this verse um, to, to talk about apologetics, which is uh, kind of the whole area of defending our faith on an intellectual level. So we, we might, you know, did Jesus really rise from the dead? We'd call that an apologetic question. So we use this verse um, as a way for us to say that we need to know our apologetics. And that's true. We, we need to know why we believe what we believe. That is incredibly important But that's not what Peter is talking about in in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter writes, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, the people who persecute you, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. What Peter is getting at here is that as we live our lives walking with Jesus, our lives will look different. People are going to look at our lives and ask questions. Why do you do what you do? Why are you so calm in the midst of a storm? Why do you just seem joyful all the time? Peter is saying that when people ask us those questions, are you ready to respond to them? Friends, it's it's Jesus. Why do I have peace? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Why do I have joy? It's Jesus. Jesus is my everything. He's my Lord. He's my King. When I come to make decisions, I I ask Jesus what, what I should do. When I fall short in life, when I'm not living the way that I know He wants me to, I cry out for Him to help me, and He helps me. It's Jesus. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? So friends, the abrupt ending in the Gospel of Mark confronts us with this question. How will you respond to all that you've read about Jesus? How will you respond to his life and his death, his resurrection? Will you walk with him? Will you give your life to him? Will you allow yourself to experience all that he has for you? Because friends, it is good. It is so much better than anything this world has to offer, I promise you. 
Who is Jesus to you? Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on the platform. Jesus, we praise you for your, your written word. We thank you for the words that Mark wrote down about you, Jesus, and the way that it raises this question of who are you? And the ways that it answers that question of who are you? Father, I pray that we would respond to you even now this morning in our living rooms, wherever we're watching from. Lord, help us to reflect, who are you to me? Do I allow my knowledge of you to actually shape and change my life? Jesus, we pray that you would let that be so in each one of us. That as we come to know you as healer, Lord, I pray that we would experience your healing. As we come to know about you as the one who satisfies us, I pray that we would experience that satisfaction in us. As we, as we come to know you as the calmer of the storm and the bringer of peace, I pray that we would experience that peace in our lives that pushes back the anxiety that we feel, that pushes back the fear and the hesitation. As we come to know you, Lord Jesus, as our, our, our Father, may we come to live in the reality that we are your children, that we may be secure in who we are. Not living our lives to please people around us, Lord, but, but living our lives in the assurance that, that you love us. Lord Jesus, make it so. Shape our lives by the knowledge of you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.